Hey, listen, I want to uh, take a minute to just um, transition our thinking just a little bit. There's so many things that go through my heart and my mind when I think of a Pentecost Sunday, which I just think it was so cool that we were able to open up on Pentecost Sunday. I'm so glad that we're open again on Pentecost Sunday. And I never ever want to be just like a Pentecostal. And I hear Judy when she says, you know, like, I, um, you know, have to repent from being somewhat embarrassed. The, the issue of praying in the spirit or praying in tongues or in languages has been controversial from the beginning, you know, and continues to all the more today. And um, I just want to thank the Lord for a heritage. Um, Judy mentioned uh, her mom and her grandparents, certainly in my family as well. Um, but I mentioned to you last week about uh, Walt Hoffman, the founding pastor of Cornerstone Fellowship, and his, his death, which was untimely, and uh, his passing. But after he had left from Cornerstone, and moved on to another location. And um, Judy and I had no idea what would happen, what would be next. And uh, I wasn't credentialed, I wasn't licensed, I wasn't ordained. I hadn't been to seminary or Bible school and it's like, what do we do? And we just went to um, our district and we said, do you guys have like a magic wand or something? You know, can you, you sort of wave something over us and maybe we could just kind of keep this this thing moving forward. And it wasn't a magic wand, it was a, it was a culmination of a calling that God had been working for some years. But I remember this every year at this time of the year, that on the very first Wednesday night after we had been appointed pastors of Cornerstone Fellowship, the very first Wednesday night, I had invited um, Irene's mom, Tressa, wonders to come and to share and Judy and I are trying to remember I think by that time your dad had already gone to heaven and so I invited her to come and I just asked Tressa if she would share with us what she learned in a lifetime about the Holy Spirit you know like just reduce all those experiences to one little thing and uh, I think the thing that I remember the most about her conversation that night, we had questions and answers back and forth with her, and just a great night. And she was, she just lit up when she started sharing stories and testimonies. But the thing that I think I remember the most about that Wednesday night was that Judy's grandmother said, we depended on the Holy Spirit for everything. It wasn't just to pray in tongues, it wasn't just the gifts of the Spirit, but we depended on the Holy Spirit to farm our farm. We depended on the Holy Spirit to raise our children. We depended on the Holy Spirit for our finances. We depended on the Holy Spirit for healing. We depended on the Holy Spirit to be teachers and, um, you know, and, and they just learned with their clan uh, and their tribe of of uh, kids, you know, that, uh, and, and, the, and the experiences they had in life and ministry. 
They just learn to rely on the Holy Spirit for everything. And I think that's where the modern Pentecostal movement started. Its roots actually were in this thought that the prophet had given to the king, Zerubbabel, and he said, you tell, he tells the prophet, you tell the king, it is not by might and it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And I'm going to just tell you that today there's a lot of things going on in the church that I would regulate or regard as being human might, human power, but minus the Holy Spirit, it is not going to do anything of eternal value or leave anything of eternal value. So if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to live and to minister, and the early church needed the Holy Spirit to live and to minister, how much more do we need him today? All right? Just had to get that off my chest, you know. And I, I understand the, the controversy about, you know, even in the beginning, the languages and the tongues. And growing up in a Pentecostal home, I felt like with other believers and other friends of mine who had accepted Christ and other faiths, other denominations, all of them Christian, you know, that I felt like I rode on the back of the bus, okay? Meaning that the Pentecostals were always like the awkward cousin invited to the family picnic. They were the hicks, they were the, you know, people without sophistication. And, uh, but I'm telling you, a day is coming, and you're going to see it with your own eyes. When those who are filled with the Spirit say, we don't need less of this, we need more of this. We need much, much, much more. And we, too, will not be ashamed of it. I'd like to actually kind of use that as a segue. We are going to go to uh, Acts chapter 2. By the way, I just would mention that if you want to understand the whole Pentecostal experience, I would highly recommend you talk to people who are Pentecostal because... If you talk to others, you might get a different view of this. But this, this is a very precious thing that God has done, is to leave his spirit for us. The message that I have to share with you this morning, I felt like that the spirit of God impressed on me that the church needs to regain her prophetic voice. And when I say our prophetic voice, I mean not just the church, who was locked down, but I mean um, we who have navigated the social and political uh, mores and things that have happened and gone on in the world, but particularly those of us who have a, an evangelical, and I'm going to say even a um, Pentecostal uh, slant to our worship, to our theology, Pentecostal church, or we would be actually technically today uh, what they call new Pentecostals or neo-Pentecostals, um, we need to be able to speak with new tongues. And, and by that, I mean we need to be able to speak into the mess and all that's going on and call out life, call life out of this chaos that we're in. 
So um, I want to go back to the roots. I want to look at this. I want to do a little bit of history with you. And then I, I'd like to end on a uh, note that I believe uh, will encourage your heart. So first of all, let's just look at Acts chapter 2. Now, Chris read for us the story. Thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for uh, limiting your sermon to the story. And um, I, since he did so well, let's just plop in at verse number 7. And by the way, I can't hear that story enough. I can't read that story enough. It, <clears throat> it stirs me every time I hear it, every time I think about it. And I, there is a temptation in me to want to look back and say, like, that was golden, but, but I'm, I'm really looking ahead today. We just look back at the beginning and the launch of this to get ideas for the future. In verse 7, they were all amazed because they're hearing Galileans. Now, I want you to catch this for a moment. So uh, these people from around the world that had gathered for the day or the Feast of Pentecost, um, one of the three times a year that all the males had to come into the temple. So in the temple and in the synagogue, you would use Hebrew. In the marketplace, you'd use Aramaic. But these were people who had been dispersed around the world, Jewish and Jewish converts, uh, Gentiles who converted to Judaism. These would be the Jewish people from the dysphoria, or the people who had been scattered around the world by the Babylonians, by the Assyrians, by the Persians, and others. Many of them came back home, but many of them stayed right where they were at. And so, you know, two or three generations in, now your native tongue is going to be not probably Hebrew and not probably Aramaic. It's going to be, well, if you're from Rome, it's going to be Latin, for example. So here's the group of people, verse number 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, who knows what they spoke, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, districts of Libya, and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we all hear them in our own tongues speaking all the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement with great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? Now, I just want to address the issue of tongues for just one second and, and just to say that these were languages. So let's say that when you go up to Jerusalem, you have to use Hebrew. Let's say that between your home and Jerusalem, if you had to stop and buy a soda, you had to use Aramaic, okay? But your birth language, the language that you would speak would be the one that your mama whispered over you. Your dad and your mom would speak to you in whatever dialect was uh, the, of, from their hometown. I don't know if you know how important it is to understand that for people who are of multiple languages, you think in one particular language. You don't think in two or three different languages, okay? So a person who speaks two or three different languages, very in, uh, intelligent, but they start with the language that they were taught by their mama. That's near and dear to them. They think in that language. So I want you to just think how cool it was for God to take Galileans who were not from Medes, they were not Persians, they were not Romans, they, and, and, and then fill them with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives them the ability to speak to them in the language that their mama spoke to them in. And what did they speak about? Not the Holy Spirit. 
He spoke about Jesus, the wonderful works of God. It's brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. I mean, it might sound like confusion, and it might sound like chaos, and it might sound ridiculous, but that was a very precious moment for the Father to say, I'm sending you the Spirit, and here's what he's going to do. He's going to woo you. He's going to draw you because he's going to speak like your mama spoke to you when you were Sawyer's age, right? Or Sadie's age or, what, you know, fill in the blank. Your own age. When you were a child, the Holy Spirit speaking. Of okay, so here's the thing about tongues is that instantly it becomes, okay, either they're drunk they're crazy, or we don't know. The important thing is that, that Peter gets up and he knows. And when Peter is able to stand there and say, this is that. So you, you have an experience that you're experiencing right now, and you don't understand it, but I'm telling you, this is that that Joel talked about. That is a prophetic word at a precise time in history, which is really, really important. How many of you think that getting a prophetic word from God for the time that we live in right now would help? Getting a word from heaven that says, I'm telling you, this is that. I mean, my common thing during the whole pandemic was like, you don't know who to believe or what to believe, you, you know, what is up and what is down, what is right, what is wrong. We're, we're just all confused, and there's so many voices, so many different languages, and all I could do is say, let's run to the Bible, run back there, because it's a safe place. But when the Holy Spirit breathes on a group of people who are steeped in the Scriptures, I mean, you know, Peter thinks in Hebrew, when he talks talk about him being an ignorant fisherman, but he spoke Hebrew and he spoke Aramaic and maybe uh, uh, something else perhaps, but certainly he, w he had that Galilean um, slang and dialect, accent. So these people are hearing Peter speak and they're saying he has to be a Galilean, but he's speaking the language of my mama. And Peter said, let me tell you what this is. This is what? Joel said. Joel said he would pour out his spirit in the last days. So he answered the question and he went running for Jesus. Running right to the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. So I think that that, that needs to be part of the context of, of what we're doing here. There's two vital things that um, I want you to know is that these tongues in this particular occasion were languages. Now Paul does say in verse uh, 1 of 1 Corinthians 13, that if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, you know, and he, we, we went through that, right? You know, but so apparently sometimes praying in the Spirit could be a language that someone could recognize. That's, and there's all kinds of testimonies through the years about people who have heard someone praying in a language they hadn't learned. Okay, recognizable languages. How about languages that have not been discovered? How about languages that fell in disuse? 
How about languages that are yet to be uh, invented? And then add to it angelic languages? Oh, you know, like what's the possibility? How many different kinds of languages are possible? I think the first thing that we should remember is that it wasn't just a bunch of gibberish. It was actually languages. And the second thing is that um, the prophetic voice <clears throat> that God sent to this confused crowd is now hearkening back to something that happened in Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, God confused the languages. So if you will, God divided people by language. And on this case, he's going to unite them by Jesus. So it's really important for us to understand that in Babel, what was happening is that the people after the flood, uh, 100 or 150 years, maybe as much as 200 years after the flood, uh, corruption in the world, people growing into a sort of a community decide we've got to protect ourselves against this God lest he uh, flood us out again. And so what they did is they decided to build a city without God, a tower without God. In fact, the tower is supposed to reach up to God. That means that they want to be able to look God in the eyes. And I don't know if you recognize that is the very basis of humanism, which are our secular culture is based in. There is no God, and if there is a God, we're equal with him. In fact, if there is a God, maybe you're the God, you know. Or the decisions that we make, we are the highest authority in our own lives, so we become human worshipers. We worship creation. Paul talked about that in Romans chapter 1, and actually because that they believed in the lie, they started to worship the creation rather than the creator. And then so God gives them over to believe in a lie. And so the immediate thing is that we start to worship. Since we worship ourselves, we end up, our, we make God like us in our image instead of us being made after his image. So that being said, Babel, the confusing of the languages in Genesis 11 was meant to disperse people. He didn't want to judge them. He didn't want to punish them. It was not time for that. He just wanted to divide them because united, they would work together to create amazing things. But divided, they would have to pair off by languages. Now God is doing the opposite of that. He's trying to, he's actually trying to unite people. And the melting pot is Jesus Christ. I want to talk about that on July 4th weekend. The, the, the true melting pot is not really democracy. The true melting pot is Jesus Christ. If you come to the cross, whoever you are, no matter what your hyphenation, you, you just lay it all down there and you become a new creature in Christ. He's the melting pot. Okay? So tongues were languages, and this is also God undoing what he had done in um, uh, Genesis 11. Oh, God, I just pray that you would restore to the church a prophetic voice that is able to articulate precisely where we're at and what is going on in this world today. I'd like to do a little bit of uh, history with you here, if I could. When the people ask, what does this mean, Peter took them to Joel chapter 2. And what he does is he reads from and quotes from Joel chapter 2. Verse number 17, 
And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord our God. I'm sorry, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So the verse starts with, in the last days, the, the, the verse ends with, anyone will be saved. So I want to use Joel's text that, Paul, that Peter quoted from. I want to use that as a historical diagram, if you will. In Acts chapter 2, the people, this is the birth of the church, and from there, uh, the message of Jesus Christ went around the known world. Uh, Paul the Apostle would be the leading um, uh, apostle to the Gentile world and would open up the rest of the world. So in one sense, if you go back to Joel's prophecy, earlier in chapter 2, if you read Joel chapter 2, it's easy to remember, Acts chapter 2, Joel chapter 2. If you go earlier in Joel chapter 2, you'll see that Joel prophesies a wonderful day when God will restore Israel. And one of the things that he says he will do is he will pour out a, an early rain, which is the autumn rain, an early rain, and then he'll pour out a later rain. We call it a latter rain. So there's an early rain and a latter rain. I want to liken the early rain to being Acts chapter 2, the original outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, thank you, Holy Spirit. You've never left the earth. You're still here. There's just been ebbs and flows of this, this, this thing that we call the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So, if we take that as the early rain and, and then say, well, what would be the latter rain? The latter rain uh, began, I believe, in Azusa Street in 1906. In 1906, in the Azusa Street Mission, on the street that is named Azusa, on Azusa Street was a mission, and on that mission, when God poured out his spirit, people came from around the world. They sent out flyers, they sent out newsletters, kind of like text messages, kind of like emails around the world, and people came from around the world to this little formerly African Missionary Alliance Church and then converted into a livery stable uh, just before they used it. And so now it became a place where God poured out his spirit again in the modern age. 1906 Azusa Street. I would like to liken that to the, the modern day as the end time or the latter reign. I don't mean any uh, religious group by that. I mean, you know, just using Joel's terminology. So the early reign would have been on the day of Pentecost. The latter reign would have began in Azusa Street. Now, there were a lot of streams flowing into it. There were a lot of uh, movements that, uh, that the Spirit had poured out on other people moving down through the years, and we can trace them all. 
but the most significant one in modern era, the one that took um, the gospel around the world and people around the world with this Pentecostal message, which started with a handful of people in this little livery stable, but people from around the world gathered, uh, literally hundreds of thousands of people, if not a million, had gathered in that at different times from 1906 to 1909. Now, that, that is significant because I believe that that outpouring marks the beginning of what we could call the, the last days. The whole movement started with a desire as the clock started ticking towards 1900, a new century, and the gospel had not gone around the world and they were looking for a way to evangelize the world in all the languages. And so they were looking for some method to do this. So they go and they look at the scripture record and they're saying, the thing that seems to be missing is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Time out for a second. There was a reformation. Why was there a reformation? Because from 300 um, A.D., the time of the church, from 300 when Constantine meddled with the church and uh, into the dark ages, the church became apostate and backslid and very, very much uh, uh, wayward, away from God, lost the mission, lost the vision, and uh, became corrupted. So there was something called the Reformation, which was rescuing the church from the corruption of a corrupt priesthood and a sacrificial system. And thank God for Martin Luther and those like him and they didn't deal with everything. They didn't deal with infant baptism. They didn't deal with a lot of things, but they, they just really cleaned the church up and got the church back on her feet again. And then God began adding to the church different things. And I believe that one of the things that was missing was the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So in 1906, which is quite a number of years after the Reformation, God pours out his spirit again. And it's just absolutely world impacting. So much so that 10 years later, the Assemblies of God was formed in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, today, from that group of about 300 that gathered in Hot Springs, Arkansas, 300 people uh, gathered together and said, we want to define ourselves by a certain uh, belief system about the Holy Spirit, a certain belief system about sanctification and uh, end time events and so we're going to gather together and start to gel something into a denomination the assemblies of god was formed in 1906 300 people uh today in this country alone there are three million assembly of god adherents 30 million worldwide it's the largest pentecostal movement in the world today now, that doesn't mean we're the best. It doesn't mean that we're the ones that are right. It just I'm just saying that's exponential growth. It's just unbelievable. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to now take that thought. Let's, so this is, this is the beginning of the latter reign. So we're talking about from the day of Pentecost until 1906, almost 2,000 years. But the movements of the Spirit have been coming with great regularity, a lot closer, a lot quicker, a lot shorter, okay? So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say 1906 would be, um, uh, you know, a, what we would call the first wave or the classical Pentecostals. They got named after the event that we go and get our history from. 
So they were called classic Pentecostals. In the 1960s, 1970s, and continuing today, the charismatic movement was the second wave of the Holy Spirit. This started hitting denominations and the Catholic Church. This is a wonderful thing. Like suddenly our brothers and sisters in denominational churches started opening up and receiving the Holy Spirit. And so added to their theology now was this thing of the baptism and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That would be the second wave. The third wave, the third wave would be in the 1990s. Sorry about that. 1990s, that would be Global Awakening and um, Word of Faith and, and, and a bunch of others. But there's been a, since the 1990s, several different revivals of which we could trace uh, great moves of the Holy Spirit. So first wave, second wave, third wave. I'm here to tell you about what I believe is a fourth wave coming. That's good news. A fourth wave. Classical Pentecostals in Azusa Street, charismatic second wave, word of faith, 1960s, 1970s. Neo-Pentecostals, global awakening, others like them uh, happening. If we look at uh, Joel's prophecy in Acts chapter 2, when, when Peter quotes from Joel, I'm just going to start with verse 17 and read it for you again. And it shall be in the last days. We've been living in the last days since Jesus appeared, technically. But uh, I think a lot of people are wondering, could we be closer to the last of the last days, you know, than we ever were before? Well, we certainly are closer than we were. Is this the last days? I'll tell you how you can tell. Let's just figure out where we may be on this map. Okay. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bondservants, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So verses 19 and 20, I got to tell you that in all of history, this, this, these events have not yet happened I mean, there's always been glimpses of it, but not, you know. There has been signs and wonders, and there's certainly more. There have been times when we've had blood moons, and there will be more. But this is going to be notable. Great wonders in the sky and signs on the earth below. The sun will be turned into darkness. It could be an eclipse, but I think that God knew that there's eclipses. This is going to be notable. I don't think those things have happened yet. I think those things are yet to come. What has happened? Well, I want you to look at the verbiage, uh, and not maybe the verbiage as much as, as the pronouns that are being used here. He says, I will pour forth, in verse number 17, of my spirit, 
on all mankind. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond servants, both men and women, I will pour, I will in those days pour forth my spirit. They shall prophesy. There's, um, there's distinct different groups that are mentioned, and I happen to believe that God, every heartbeat of his heart is significant. He's passionate. He's doing something. And every word that he speaks is intentional. And I think that I can, um, with great educated guess, tell you that there's a pattern that astounds me, that intrigues me, that causes me to wonder. In verse number 18, when he says, even on my bond servants, that's the phrase that, that, that God has always used about his prophets. My servants, the prophets. My bond servants, the prophets. That's language he uses when he's talking to Israel. That's language when he is calling Israel home. Those that received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost were all Jews. Even if they were scattered abroad, they were all Jews. And this began as a Jew Jewish movement. It wasn't until Acts chapter 10 that it branched out into Gentiles and other nations and other people. God spoke first to his children. So I'm going to suggest to you, you can like it or accept it or, or not, but I'm going to suggest to you that in verse number 18 when he says, on my bond servants, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I'm going to suggest that's Acts chapter 2. I think when, you know, the prophet, you know, they, they I'm sorry, this is slipping. <clears throat> I teach in, in, in biblical prophecy that when a prophet looks out in the spirit across the horizon, he sees into the future, he sees maybe mountaintops. He doesn't see the valleys in between. It looks like all one event to him. This, this is time-honored biblical translation in application of scriptures. We know rabbis tell us, Bible scholars tell us, others, everyone agrees that when the Old Testament prophet looks out across the time and history, he'll see events as though they were one event, but there could be multiple events. For example, there's times when you can see the first coming of Christ, you can see the second coming of Christ, or sometimes when the first and second coming of Christ look to, to be the same event uh, in the book of Isaiah and other places. 
So what I'm suggesting to you right now is that, that God can actually use the prophet and he sees something in the spirit and he prophesies it, but he doesn't see the time or the separation of events necessarily in between the valleys. And I believe that that's exactly what is happening here in verse number 18. In verse number 18, I believe that the closest thing to the prophet's eyes when he is looking out across time is that he is seeing an outpouring of the Spirit that we would call the Acts chapter 2 outpouring or the early rain. That was the first one. Then I believe that you'll find as well that in verse number 17, he says, And your old men shall dream dreams. And I have reasons for which I don't have time to go into right now, but I believe that that was Azusa Street. Our old men saw dreams. They dreamed dreams. They saw things. It was another wave. It was another wave of the Spirit. It was the beginning of the latter rain. It wasn't the final latter rain. It was the beginning of the final latter rain. And I believe that your young men shall see visions. I believe that that would be our um, charismatic brothers and sisters. I believe that that would be the 1960s, 1970s, into the uh, 80s, even up to this day. So I'm going to suggest to you that there was uh, an outpouring Zusa Street and the old men dream dreams. And then there was this outpouring and the young men saw visions. I believe that that would uh, identify the charismatic movement. And then the verse above that or sentence above that, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. I think that is definitely the, uh, the third wave, the, the stream that has been most recent. By the way, there, there hasn't been with this as much a message in tongues with the interpretation as much as there's been an emphasis on prophecy. So I really believe that you'll find that the third waivers are, are found to be there. And if I'm right, then that leaves one more wave, and he says that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind, all flesh. We've never seen a day like that. I want you to imagine, okay, in my, in my history, in my Pentecostal history, I've seen messages in tongues and interpretations of tongues, and it's been sort of a mixed bag. You know, I, I would see times when that worked really well, and I'd see times when it was clunky and awkward, and, then, and the human factor was always to, at fault, never the Holy Spirit, you know. But... I've, I've, I feel like I've rarely seen it work the way it's supposed to until recently. I was in a funeral, and the pastor uh, uh, preached a, a decent funeral message, and um, God love him. He did a, a phenomenal job, you know. And, um, and when he was done, he stepped down. He was going to go over and, and uh, say something to the family just before they went up and... and um, we're ready to uh, remove the casket. And if, in that awkward moment where he steps down and walks up to the family, all of a sudden there's a message in tongues. And I'm like, 
this has never happened to me before. I've never experienced this at a funeral, you know. And I'm like, if there isn't gonna, if there isn't an interpretation, this is gonna be really like pretty memorable, <laughs> you know. It's like someone got pretty excited and went off in the spirit and gave a message and, and everybody's sitting there waiting, wondering what in the world. But all of a sudden, there came this clear, crisp interpretation, and I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit trumped the pastor's message by incalculable ways. It was, it was like amazing, and and and, and it like it left you at this place where like, I need Jesus like now, you know. It was it was like you know, God speaking to a group of people who needed a message, and this was amazing, amazing. I, I just sat and wondered, you know, and then I'm thinking to myself, what is the funeral director going to do with this, you know? And um, as you can imagine, these guys see it all, right, you know? He goes up to the front of the church, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, this concludes our funeral. <laughs> He, didn't, he hadn't a clue. What it, I'm like bouncing in my seat. Give me the microphone, you know. I'm, you know. Um, when it when it works, it's amazing. When it works as it's designed, it's amazing. But I'm telling you something. There isn't a Pentecostal alive today who is able to see say what I'm about to say to you. And that is that we have seen the Spirit of God poured out on all flesh. We've never seen that. Because we know, as Pentecostals, you know, you've got to pray. And like we wouldn't say you've got to sort of earn this, but it's not true at all. God is so desperate to save the world. I believe that the end time harvest is going to come about because God's going to pour his Spirit out on all flesh. I believe there will be entire cities that will be filled with the Spirit of God in one fell swoop and occasion. I think there will be street preachers on street corners out there. They'll be sharing the gospel, and, 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 it, and it won't be just one or two people getting saved, but they all get saved, and while they're being saved, the Holy Spirit falls on them as well. In fact, I think it's going to really mess with our theology. I think we'll be preaching Jesus and the Spirit of God will fall on people and they'll actually be praying in the Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit before they pray to sinner's prayer. I believe your prodigals that you have been praying for are going to come running home because they've been filled with the Spirit, not because they entered into a church, not because they prayed a sinner's prayer, but because the Spirit of God fell on them and such conviction that suddenly they just said yes to Jesus. And when they said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit fell on them and they were transformed. I believe people with addictions, I believe that people with bondages are going to be set free by the power of God when the Holy Spirit falls on them. I believe we're going to do less counseling and more praying. I believe we're going to do a whole lot less counseling. Not that I disparage that, but I'm, I just believe that the Spirit of God is going to fall on all flesh. I look forward to that. 
Pastor, I want you to meet with me. I'm having all these troubles. Could you come and counsel me? And I would say, sure, let's sit down. Let, let, me, let me do some pastoral counseling. Let me share with you from the scriptures. And I believe I'm going to open my Bible and I'm going to bow my head for a little word of prayer. And I'm going to look over and the person's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And suddenly there's no reason for counseling. <laughs> I believe people with mental health disorders will be healed by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I believe that some people who have been, uh, uh, you know, like written off chronically ill and sick for life diseases and things that we're just like, we're doing the best we can to navigate diabetes. We're doing the best we can with heart disease. We're doing the best we can with cancer. We're doing the best we can with COVID. But I believe the Spirit of God is going to be poured out in these latter days on all flesh. And you're going to see some people who are absolutely healed because they were filled with the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Would you please stand up with me? Please note that there's large sections of the body of Christ who right now today are accommodating the culture and they're adapting to the secular culture and you will be embarrassed because you are accommodating things that God will set them free of when the spirit of God falls on them. There are things that you're saying, well, maybe that's just how God made you. Just allowing people to continue on without an answer, but God has an answer. He's looking for a church that will stand up and prophesy this is that this is what God had said what he said he meant what he meant he does and he is the same yesterday today and forever it's not by might it's not by power but it's by his holy spirit Hallelujah. Lord, I believe with all my heart that you're commissioning a people, Lord Jesus, that are tired of the same old, same old. We're tired of our compromise. We're tired of our lethargy. We're tired of accommodating. We're tired of trying to answer people with answers that are not resonating. Pour out your spirit on the church so that your spirit can all of us, each and every one of us, sons and daughters, old men, young men, Man, all of them. We never lost anything from one wave into the next wave. It wasn't one wave and then God was done. And then he sent another wave and then God was done. It was one wave on top of another wave on top of another wave. And I prophesy a fourth wave that's going to come with all the anointing of the others. Hallelujah. I believe that you're going to heal. I believe that you're going to deliver. I believe that you're going to save. I believe that we're going to see signs and wonders. I believe, Lord Jesus, that there's an end time harvest that's going to come from an end time church that no longer relegates the Holy Spirit to an awkward, clunky piece of theology that we don't really know what to do with, but people who are no longer ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, no longer ashamed to say, I pray in the spirit. People who are no longer ashamed of identifying with Jesus Christ, but people who are absolutely, totally dependent on the spirit of God for everything. Hallelujah. Raise up a thousand 
tresses in central Pennsylvania. Raise up a thousand tresses in central Pennsylvania. Begin pouring out your spirit, Lord Jesus, on all flesh. Hallelujah. You said when the Spirit of God comes, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Lord, the world is tired of the church being the judgment arm of God. We were never intended to be that. We're intended to be the prophetic voice. We're to be the prophetic voice. And the Spirit of God will do the convicting. The Spirit of God will do the converting. The Spirit of God will do the healing and the delivering. The power of God will do it. Hallelujah. Praise your holy name, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. I'm just going to give you a piece of advice. If I had children, if I had children, I'd make sure that they were in this atmosphere all the time. As much as the church is open, I would bring up my kids, my teenagers. Don't let them pull that stuff on you that they're bored. Don't let them pull that stuff on you that it doesn't move them. It doesn't make sure they're in the house of God, in the presence of God. Expose them to the Holy Spirit, full blown, full on. Expose them to the Holy Spirit and watch what God does in their hearts and in their lives. Our children cannot face this world without the help and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our children are no match for the demonic powers of darkness that are lurking in every facet of communication, in every facet of entertainment in every schoolyard. You you can't put, I wish you could put them in a Christian school and they're gonna be safe. You cannot ensure safety by where you put your children. Accept this, expose them to the Spirit of God and they'll learn to fight. They will 